0: Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with veteran Kansas City-based jazz saxophonist David Valdez. He opened up about his latest CD called Shades of Happiness and relocating to the Kansas City area. He was born in San Francisco in 1967 and grew up in Santa Cruz, California. He picked up the saxophone at the age of eight and never looked back. Over the years, he has zigzagged around the United States. He attended the Berklee College of Music, Finishing his studies, he moved back to the West. Then he went to New York City, and then on to Portland, Oregon, and their thriving jazz scene, and then he relocated to Kansas City to pursue a master's degree in jazz composition at the University of Kansas. He loves it here, he explains why, along with so much more. So please get to know David and dig this interview, my friends.
1: Hey, David, thank you for taking a minute out for Neon Jazz, man. I appreciate it. Of
0: course, anytime.
1: And so at the top of the interview here, I just want to kind of talk about the ever-present. And you were a part of the Charlie Parker festivities. You were a part of the sax summit at the Blue Room. And uh, you had a gig on Sunday. And there, there was a lot that was going on. How was this year for you? Did you uh, what, what were your thoughts on it?
2: It was great to be able to play Charlie Parker's music for basically a month. I, I did quite a few kind of bird themed gig starting at the beginning of the month. We did a few things at uh, four twenty four lounge in Leavenworth. Always loved Charlie Parker's music. I've you know played I was introduced to it uh in junior high school and even though I've you know been a lifelong fan, I've never actually played an entire gig of you know, birds music. So it was really quite an experience.
1: Talk to me a little bit about what's going on with you lately, with any recording projects, anything on the horizon, anything coming out.
2: Uh, Right now, I'm kind of, um, you know, I just finished up a uh, master's degree at KU here. That's why I came out, moved out here to Kansas City in the first place. Uh, So I, that was the last two years. I came up from um, Portland, Oregon, where I was teaching at uh, Portland State University there for a few years wanted to kind of continue my education and work on a master's degree, and Matt Otto uh, offered me a GPA position so I could kind of get paid and go back to school, study some composition. So I just finished up a comp degree, and now I'm kind of back, getting back into the music scene just in the last year working on... I I released a CD right before it came out, Shades of Happiness, kind of planning another project with a guitarist friend of mine that I've been working with for a long time, Pedro Soto. Uh, He's a Catalan guitarist and um, a pianist who's in Portland, Jasmine Dyer Singh. He's a Brazilian pianist. So we're kind of trying to plan a recording for next year. Uh, And right currently I'm just trying to work out the um, immigration details because it's kind of tricky at the moment. Uh, for Pera, who's right now based in uh, Oaxaca, Mexico. So we're just trying to get all the paperwork together and then plan a tour for him coming up. So hopefully that'll be next year. At the moment, I also have um, bringing out a great drummer, Anthony Pinciotti. Uh He's coming out at the end of September here. Uh, and we're doing a little string of gigs in Kansas City and Omaha. He's one of the top calls drummers in New York. He's uh, currently touring with uh, Anat Cohen and he's played with people like James Moody and Jim Hall. So looking forward to that, kind of working on that tour and just uh, things have been pretty busy lately. You're starting to pick up a little bit.
1: Right on. So you were born in San Francisco, grew up in Santa Cruz. Talk to me a little bit about your childhood and how you got into music and jazz. There was
2: a really strong jazz scene in Santa Cruz, and I was coming up. It's a little kind of resort beach town, but uh, there's one of the top listening rooms on the West Coast, Coombo Jazz Center. And there's a very good high school music program in the area, Aptos uh, High. Uh, turned out a lot of great um, professional musicians, actually. Um, so I kind of got to started working at Coombo when I was in junior high, or high school, rather, so I got to go to uh, sit in and hear. Every week, I'd get to hear everyone who was on the road just the top names in jazz, so I kind of got exposed to jazz really early on, and I had a great teacher, Paul Contos, who's kind of running the Monterey Next Gen Band at the moment. He started me with the Omnibook uh, when I was, what, 12, 12 years old, so kind of Got the jazz bug really early, and was uh, completely dedicated to it. We had a really strong music program. We went to Europe and Japan. By the time I got out of high school, played Monterey a bunch of times. Um, so I was working professionally. I think by the time I was seventeen, I was probably working two, three nights a week playing jazz all over the Bay Area. So that was then. There's a lot of great players around. Donnie McCaslin went to the same school. Kenny Wallace and Jeff Ballard was. In Santa Cruz at the time, just a ton of great players. Not not as strong anymore, but at, the, at that time, it was a really great scene. And not too far from San Francisco. San Jose was right over the hill. So we had kind of a nice little thing happening there for a few years.
1: Why the saxophone? Why was that your instrument of choice?
2: <laughs> uh, just a random choice, probably, when I was a kid, because it looked cool the coolest looking instrument when you're eight years old had the most buttons probably i think that was probably the main motivation (laughs) but turned out to be quite heavy (laughs) so i probably regretted picking the saxophone when i was young because it was kind of heavy to carry it home from school but i stuck with it so i started when i was eight and i've been playing ever since
1: at berkeley talk to me a little bit about what you learned there you know in a formal environment it's it's obviously different than being on the bandstand and other things. So what did you learn that really stuck with you all these years? I had a few,
2: uh, several really great teachers that were highly influential. Of course, uh, I studied saxophone with Joe Viola, Joseph Viola, who's just one of the master teachers of the 20th century, for sure. He just knew as much as anyone about playing the saxophone. He kind of taught Bradford and Brecker. So he. Kind of, I owe my whole sound and concept of playing the saxophone to Joe for sure. And then uh, I also studied with George Garzone. There, I did a performance degree, so I did a lot of playing. Um, studied with George and kind of became a what you call a fringe head. Went to the fringe every week. A huge fan of George, um, who taught a whole generation of tenor players. I think I. Probably would have to say I learned the most from herb Pomeroy, the great arranger, and he ran the Berkeley Recording Orchestra, so he really taught me about just how to improvise how to solo he taught me motivic development and how to kind of think more like a composer so uh, I would think that would be my the biggest thing, most important thing I learned at Berkeley was uh, what I learned from herb about phrasing and and how to uh compositionally
1: so after berkeley you go back to the west coast and you're in the bay area so kind of give me a timeline here you you go back there and <laughs> you make your way to portland kind of give me an idea
2: moved around a lot actually before i in the in the years after berkeley moved back to santa cruz um kind of i was playing uh i had a quintet with King brooks a great tenor player one of my best friends um and we moved back to Bay Area at the same time and started a quintet. We had uh it was Larry Grenadier and Jeff Ballard and Kenny Wolves and just great players out there. Uh Dred Scott, uh pianist he's in New York now. So we worked through, Jazz scene was kinda of picking up then at the time in the uh early nineties. So we played around a lot with the quintet. Um worked with Charlie Hunter. A bit. We had a horn band, a uh, four horn band with Charlie. Worked a lot of freelance stuff, but I ended up moving around. My parents kind of moved up to Northern California, so I moved back and forth between Humboldt and Santa Cruz and Oakland uh, several times. And then I, uh, I guess I moved to Santa Fe for a minute and then back to Oakland. And then I ended up in the late 90s in New York and then stayed there a few years before moving to Portland and then and I was in Portland from 2000 to 2007 and then I moved out here
0: the
1: whole adage of where you are is where you're at is, is kind of the the more th- th- that's what this question is going to be you know you've been all over the country you've seen you know not only culturally and socially how these cities roll but also how their jazz scenes roll is everything basically the same? What are the big differences? What's it like? Just kind of give me an idea now that you're here in Kansas City.
2: It, things are very different in other places. You know, it, it seems like the scenes change over time, you know, and go through up and down periods. There was a period in, in the mid-90s when it was really happening in San Francisco. Tons of work, a lot of venues. You could actually afford, you know, to get by there as a musician um but it it i felt like it really did make a huge difference um where where you were for a musician you know where i was living um portland was great for a while then then you started to just drop off cost of living goes up but there's a lot of factors involved uh you know cost of living number of good players venues the audiences um kind of the type of music that people are playing. There's all, all these different factors that are kind of involved. And everything has to be kind of just right for for it to be possible, you know, to even make a living as a player. Kansas City, at the moment, seems to have everything kind of happening. It seems like there's a we're in kind of a 50 or 40 or 50-year peak, a bubble, where all these factors are kind of just right. We've got venues. We've got great players. We've got people doing interesting music. We've got uh, audiences who want to go out and are used to going out and paying and expecting to hear live music. Um, we've got a low cost of living. So, now I hear people here kind of complain about the scene and how there are not enough venues, and to me that just tells me that they haven't been anywhere else because at the moment there's not, you know, the West Coast is incredibly expensive and there are no venues and it's kind of rough and uh east coast is kind of the same so i think we're really lucky to be in the scene right now here all the musicians just a great collection of players and plenty of places to play there could always be more of course but at the moment i think there's not a lot to complain about
1: You know, it's interesting. I've been doing this show since 2011, and I've kind of watched this Kansas City landscape just mushroom and get bigger and better and really change in a lot of positive ways. And and it seemed to me as though Kansas City used to kind of be a springboard. You know, people would go through Bobby's program at UMKC or they would, you know, or, or Jim's program out at KCK or KU, and they would leave. But it seems like now this is the mecca. People are coming from other cities here. How does that how does that feel coming in here? Is that your sense?
2: To me, it seems like there's not, there should be more people coming in, you know, if people knew about it. Uh, maybe you like me. I've been hearing from Matt how great it was here. And uh, maybe I didn't believe him. How could there be that great of a scene in the middle of the country? How could there be anything happening in Kansas kind of you know, I think people are starting to hear about it, and you're getting a few people moving in. But for the most part, most of the players here are kind of from the Midwest. You know, they're from Kansas and Missouri, and they haven't moved in. If in a like Compared to a scene like Portland, where you've got people who are, most of the people there have moved from somewhere. So maybe in the future, people are going to start finding out more about it and moving in, and they're starting now. But I don't think there's really a big inrush of players from other states coming in yet you know but you know I I just finished a master's degree and uh, I don't really want to move to any other city to to start a job so you know there's not really anywhere that I'd rather live other than Europe at this point.
1: What do you like best about Kansas City?
2: Uh, What's not to like? There's great you know clubs, music, the quality of life is just very high here compared to other places I've lived. You know, the traffic is not too bad. You can find parking. Cost of living is very low compared to the coast. Just the best part about it is the people, really, is to hang. You know, people have time. Maybe that's maybe due to financial realities here where, you, you know, you're not scrambling quite as much just to make rent. But people have time to get together and hang out, so people... Are into having sessions during the day and get together for barbecues, and it's really just a more social kind of environment where uh, not a lot of other cities are like that. And maybe that's due to, like I said, the financial realities. Um, I hear it's more like that in New Orleans, where people are just more down to hang and get together and play music. If you're trying to make, you know. a month rent, then you you don't really have as much time to think about hanging out with your buddies and playing music for no gig. But but here, that's kind of possible. For me, that's the best part about it, just being able to have a community and people go out and support each other's gigs. And, you know, you can go out and hear two or three, four different good bands. and, And when I'm not working, I'm trying to go out and just sit in with people hear hear music. It's been a blast. I really can't complain.
1: Right on. You know, you've been fortunate over your life, too, to be around a lot of what we would consider legends in the world of jazz or luminaries. What have you learned from Big shots? What have they lent to you that, that, that's really kind of stuck with you throughout these years as a performer?
2: Uh, that's a good question. Um, no one's really famous in jazz. <laughs> really famous. Okay. I guess there's a handful of famous people. But, you know, um, being in New York, you kind of realize that, you know, we're all in this doing the same thing, and you need to be supportive of other people and encouraging. I don't know. I get to spend time with Clark Terry and play with a lot of different people. We're not in this for the money. (laughs) (laughs) I guess my friend John Stoll, uh, that's what I think of. He says, we're not in this for the big bucks. We're just in this to play, so if it happens, that's great, but you really can't be aiming for fame and fortune, just trying to be authentic and play creative music. that's really the goal.
1: So, what was one of the first live jazz shows that you ever saw that really rocked your foundation? Uh,
2: that's a good question.
1: I think one of the first
2: shows that kind of blew me away was um at Kuombo when I was probably in my early teens. Seeing Charles McPherson play, it just shocked me. I didn't think there's anyone still playing like that. It felt like, you know, here's this music was not just on recordings. There were people out there still playing like that, playing at that high level. And, uh, you know, I'd heard Charlie Parker, been a huge fan of Bird for years, but I, I didn't hear anyone who was kind of playing at that level or near that level until Charles and just hearing being in the same room with that huge sound and this incredible player. He's still one of my favorite players, but uh, that definitely shaped kind of the course of my uh, career for sure.
1: If you could get into a time machine here in the Kansas City realm here, or or you could go down to 18 and Vine and see anybody live back in the day, who would you go see?
2: Well, no question, Burt. Yeah, just having—I mean—his presence is so strong here. Just having you know, playing at Soiree, for for instance, you've got this playing on that stage, and you know that he he was walking those streets, and you know there's a giant Burt sculpture head right behind the building. I just always imagine what it was like back then, and having all those clubs there, and just being able to hear that live would be incredible. So that that presence is so strong. I think people are. Starting to kind of become more aware. We've we've got the Charlie Parker month happening every every year for the festival, but you know the next year is the centennial, so hopefully there'll be a whole year of bird. It's kind of I kind of think of Kansas City as like New Orleans without pops. You know, with their you, it's Louis Armstrong three hundred sixty five days a year in New Orleans, but it's not really like that in Kansas City, and there aren't really a lot of real bebop gigs bebop players here it's not really that you know we haven't really continued that tradition of you know charlie parker's music i think the i was at the um a talk at the blue room the other day and and someone asked the question well where can i see this type of bebop here in kansas city and the moderators were kind of at a loss for well there's there are some plant bands play bird tunes but, uh, you know, there's not really that much of that tradition still happening here. You know, we have it one one month a year. But I think the only place there are really serious bebop players who can still live that is kind of New York. And hopefully, I think that might change here. I mean, we're really promoting the Charlie Parker Festival, and, and I think next year we're going to have a lot more... Uh, concerts throughout the year promoting birds music and I'm going to try to do a bird of strings uh, performance at some point and I'm kind of looking now to bringing people out from New York of those really heavy bebop players who are still playing that tradition and kind of working on a project too with Chuck McKinnon an old friend, a trumpet player who moved here about the same time I did and we're getting the kind of all the obscure Charlie Parker compositions together with us trying to kind of get into that material even more. So hopefully that'll change and there'll be a lot more Charlie Parker all next year. Why do you love jazz? <laughs> I love jazz because it offers the possibility to be endlessly creative. I mean, I think people get into it for different things some people get into it to play beautiful standards or to you know funk out for me that was the thing that that got me interested in the first place and the thing that keeps me going is just the ability to be personal and creative every time you play you know you can basically have total freedom to go wherever you want and within certain boundaries of course but just that You know, that's what I'm trying to do every time I play, I guess, is just try to be as creative and come up with new ideas and things that I haven't played. I want to surprise myself. So I'm not trying to play accurate or even good. I just want to be creative, really. That's my top goal.
1: Everyone has a version or interpretation of you your family, your friends, your fans, but you know who you are best. Tell me, who do you think you are?
2: <laughs> that's a good question. I think we're constantly. That's the question that we all need to figure out, right? And for musician too, it's I I felt like maybe when I was 40, I finally had an idea of who I wanted what I wanted to play like, what my voice was. But, you know, still I'm still struggling for sure trying to kind of parse out You know, what is my, what what do I want to sound like? What are my influences? How much do I want to reflect my influences? You know, kind of there's a struggle between, you know, trying to play modern and play original and just play good music, you know, make musical choices rather than trying to play something interesting or tricky or impressive I think as I get older I'm just trying to trying to find and be receptive and hear what that inner voice is you know that's kind of there's a I feel like there's always an inner voice there that wants to has an idea there's it's always there the right note is always there somewhere inside and in the right approach but you do have to kind of be receptive to it and it's usually not the note or thing that you kind of expect. So I think you can't really force that issue. You know, you can't, it's not good to have a clear idea of who you are who as a player, especially, you know, it, because I could change at any point. So I guess that's something I am still trying to figure out. And, Maybe in another 20 years, 10 years, I'll I'll have a better idea. But I I do have, I think I have a better idea than I did when I was 20 or 30 or 40 even. But it's still coming together, I think. Things are changing and my concept is still changing every day.
1: So let me piggyback off that. This is my final question. Let's say you have a dream tonight and you run into your younger self, like 20, 30 years younger. What advice are you going to give yourself? (laughs) <laughs> don't do it no. <laughs> that's right that's right
2: don't do it don't do it uh, <laughs> moved to Kansas City earlier that's right <laughs> <laughs> I think everything I wouldn't change anything I guess um, I think right now I'm kind of coming to things later I did things in a strange order I focused on other things earlier in my career. Maybe I didn't live in the right place. I would have done a lot better, maybe moved further in my career had I been moved to New York right away, right after school. But I think everything kind of happens for a reason. and I'm happy with how things have progressed for sure. Just keep up. My, yeah. my
1: motto now is better late than never. Right on. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Hey, David, thank you for opening up. Thank you for being a part of this Kansas City scene. It's always a pleasure to see you perform and continue success.
0: Yeah, thank you so much, Joe. Thanks for listening and tuning in to another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest cats in New York City, Portland, San Francisco, Kansas City, and spots all over the world giving fans all that jazz. And thanks to David for his time, music, and contribution to this Kansas City scene. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino in the iTunes Store. Visit Jazz at YouTube.com. And for everything Neon Jazz all the time, go to the NeonJazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends. Neon Jazz.